The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WNJD, Newport Community Relations, staff, or management. The information is advised presented by educational in nature, and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professionals before listening to the investment. Good afternoon, I am Bina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where this week, as every week, we're putting folks just like you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. And today is sort of an off-schedule question and answer week, because I looked at my calendar and I realized that on the last Wednesday of the month this month, I'm going to be out of town. And you all are going to be listening to a best of real life real estate show on that date, uh, April the 29th. So we're going to do our question and answer week for the month of April today, which means we need you to send us your questions. One easy way to do that is by going to askvena.com. That's A-S-K-V-E-N-A.com. And uh, simply type your question in. I will receive it here as an email. Or if you're feeling brave or want to make absolutely sure we get to your questions, you can give us a call by dialing 772-9658. That's 772-9658 if you're here in the greater Cincinnati area. Or if you're listening from one of the other 50 states or even outside of the country, you can give us a call toll-free by dialing 877-772-9658. 9658. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets tomorrow evening. Uh, that is Thursday, of course. And the topics for the early meeting at six o'clock is uh, short-term exit strategies, how to wholesale and retail properties. That is a meeting for beginning investors. I will be leading that meeting. The main meeting is how to get into compliance with the law and with best practices when you're borrowing private money. Last week's guest, James Flax, will be spending about an hour and a half talking about uh, what you need to do to make sure that if you're a private borrower, you are protecting your lenders and your deal. If you're a private lender, that you are protecting your money in a deal. That is the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. You can get more information at 859-292-7342. That's 859-292-RIA. Or by going to CincinnatiRIA.com. It is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, which means I am sitting here twiddling my thumbs and anxiously awaiting your questions on Real Life Real Estate. Any question that you have regarding real estate, whether it be the buying, the financing, the renting, the management, whatever you want to know, 772-9658 or outside the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658 or send us an email by going to askvina.com. Don't forget, you can also become a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing by going to realliferealestateradio.com. Some great suggestions on that site for future shows. And trust me, I am taking every single one of those suggestions to heart because it just isn't that easy to program 52 brand new shows a year. So I want to know what you want to know. And the way to tell me that is to go to realliferealestateradio.com. Become a fan of the program. Get weekly updates and reminders about the upcoming show. 
and of course make your suggestions as to what you would like to hear here on Real Life Real Estate. We have a question here via email from Dave in Chicago, Illinois, that says, in light of lending guidelines, how do you address the objection that a seller in a subject to deal will have about them being able to qualify for a new mortgage? Even if we close at a title company and have a HUD drafted, since the current lender is not paid off, I have lenders telling me they can't exclude the old mortgage since the seller is still liable, even if they transferred the deed. Could you address this issue when dealing with lease options as well? David, it is absolutely true that when someone lets you take over their existing loan, that loan continues to appear on the seller's credit report because the loan continues to be reported to the seller's Social Security number, and there's nothing you can do about that. However, there are a number of ways that you can get around this issue of the seller needing to qualify for a new loan, the easiest one of which is to put in a disclosure at the time that you close with a seller that if they need to go qualify for a new loan, they should contact you first. The mortgage broker or whoever it is that's trying to get them qualified for a new loan doesn't care that there's already a mortgage on their record as long as the mortgage is being paid on time, which I know you are doing since you are responsible for that mortgage. What they care about is that the uh, outgoing payment there is offset by some income. And the easiest way to show the mortgage broker that that is happening is to show them the lease that you have on the property with your tenant. So in other words, you have the seller who no longer owns the house, but he does own the mortgage. You have you who owns the house, does not own the mortgage, but has a tenant buyer in the house paying you more than the monthly payment. And all you have to do is show the next lender that the tenant is paying more than the mortgage. And that generally satisfies them, even though, again, the seller is no longer on the deed and you're not on the mortgage. So that is the easiest way and most common way for that to be handled, Dave, and I hope that answers your question. If you have a question for Real Life Real Estate Investing, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Send us your emails at uh, via askvina.com. Uh, let's see. You got some other emails here. Uh, here is one from Tim in Bethel, Ohio. He says, my father owns a rental duplex that he wants to leave to his three sons. What is the best way to set up a trust between he and the three sons to do the exchange? Uh, Tim, that is a question that really needs to be put in front of an attorney who understands trusts. The most common ways in which, uh, the most common way, let me say, in which this is done is not through a trust, but rather through dad gifting part of the equity in the duplex to his sons each year as part of his ability to do that tax free. Uh, each son can receive about ten thousand about a ten thousand dollar gift to his uh, from his father or anyone else um, per year without uh, the sons having to pay taxes on it. So uh, generally the way this would be done is something like uh, putting the rental duplex in an LLC, issuing X shares of the LLC, and then gifting the sons $10,000 worth of shares in the LLC. And of course this means that um, ultimately uh, they will end up owning the property before dad's death. If the idea is to own the property after dad's death, Definitely go see a good trust attorney. 
You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call or send us an email by going to askvina.com. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and this is a an unscheduled question and answer week because uh, I'm not going to be able to have one this month because I'm going to be out of town at the end of the month. So this is the week where the show is all about what you want to know. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call if you want to just give us a call. Uh, when you're afraid to give us a call or you you like your boss doesn't like it when you call from work, you can always send us an email via askvina.com. Uh, wow. What an interesting question. Frank from Tampa says, listen to you for two years while I was living in China. (laughs) Um, could not get your email site while I lived there, but now I'm in Florida. Oh my gosh. I'm being blocked by the Chinese government. Uh, I saw the houses in, in prices in China double in one year. I wonder if their bubble has burst yet. It's interesting that houses in China come with no flooring or plaster or kitchen cabinets. Sometimes they have no kitchen or bath installed. And lots of landlords want you to pay one to two years up front and renovate their property for you. Oh, sounds like heaven. I have a question about LLCs. Oh, okay. This isn't a question about Chinese real estate. Phew. I understand how they protect you from a tenant suing you, but they do they also protect uh, provide protection for my property if someone sues me? I recently had a car accident, which got me thinking about this. The LLC itself should be safe, but what about my shares in the LLC? Should I set up a joint LLC with my wife? I've heard it's safer than just putting it in my name. Uh, this is a question, Frank, that has a lot of, uh, there's a lot of debate going on about it in the sort of real estate slash asset protection world. Uh, your question about setting up an LLC with your wife is specifically what I am referring to. There is some thought that having a one member LLC does not perform the asset protection function that LLCs are supposed to perform, which is exactly what you said. If I have a car accident and somebody comes after my stuff, I don't want them to be able to get my real estate. Uh, There's one case apparently someplace out in the West where the the court said, hey, this is a one-person LLC, therefore we're just going to take the property out of the LLC and give it to the plaintiff, where with a two-person LLC, uh, that is significantly less likely. Other people say that was just one case. Uh, don't worry about it. LLCs provide plenty of asset protection, uh, etc. The interesting thing about an LLC is that in most states, if let's say you were to hit me with your car and I were to sue you and somehow the judgment exceeded the limits of your insurance and I was going to go after you personally for the rest of the money, I could attach what's called a charging order to your LLC, which would basically say Vina says that he owes her $10,000 and anytime he takes $10,000 out of this LLC, it goes to Vina. Uh, And the net result is you just never take that money out of your LLC because the charging order doesn't force you to do that. You just keep the money there. And it's a real interesting thing um, because the IRS likes to charge taxes on those charging orders. Uh, so I would be kind of stupid in those states where there are charging orders to attach that $10,000 
charging order because I get charged taxes on it as if I had received it and I haven't received it. So it's kind of kind of an interesting thing. See the O.J. Simpson case for more information. Uh, and by the way, thank you so much for mentioning that it was 70 and sunny in Tampa because it's like 54 degrees and raining. That was not an official weather report. Don't take that as an official weather report. Mike knows the official weather report. All I know is it's the middle of April, April and it's freezing cold and raining outside. So thanks for, you know, rubbing that in. Question and answer week on real life real estate investing seven seven two nine six five eight or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight are the numbers to call. Uh, you can also send us a question when you have the, have a moment at askvina.com. I will receive it here via email. And remember, there is no show unless you ask a question. Uh, let's see, Dorn in Fishers, Indiana, who is apparently obsessed with filling up my inbox with questions every single solitary week, says, what types of things are forbidden as criteria for selecting a renter? And the answer is basically anything that references the renter's potential membership in a protected class. So any criteria that would in some way involve race, religion, national origin, uh, uh, families with children, handicap, that sort of thing, are absolutely not allowed in a uh, criteria in any kind of criteria that would that you would use to select a tenant. So you can select tenants on criteria based like how much money they make and what the credit score is, although that's not one I would really recommend since you would reject every tenant based on what kind of, what their credit score is, uh, how long their tenancy was in their last unit. You can even choose things like, um, I, I, I won't let smokers into my house. I mean, anything that does not in some way relate to their membership in a protected class is fine. Saying something like, I want only able-bodied renters because my house has a very steep staircase, or I only want uh, uh, children, uh, families with children over the age of seven because I'm afraid there might be lead paint in my house. All that stuff is a big fat no-no. So just study up on the protected classes. There are several um, states that have protected classes over and above those at the federal level. Uh, and just don't cross over into things that would disparately impact the classes. Uh, okay, so got one from Jeffrey in San Jose who says, following you on Twitter uh, regarding President Obama's new mortgage relief plan, what about homeowners who are a couple of months behind but not yet in foreclosure? The plan doesn't seem to address this group directly. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, my thought is that if it ever gets to the point where the government starts bailing out people who are behind in their mortgages, I am immediately going to get behind in my mortgage. The the various government bailout plans, and, and trust me, it's not just at the federal level. Almost every state in the union is considering a plan like this. Many cities are even saying things like, oh, we're going we're gonna to have a six-month moratorium on foreclosures, although where the city got the right to do that is far beyond me. Um, most of these plans actually involve allowing people to refinance rather than uh, truly giving them a bailout. And the the uh, criteria around the refinance are pretty strict. Like you have to be still living in the house. You actually have to be able to afford the new payment. 
that's a new thought. If the banks had just thought about that five years ago, we wouldn't have this problem. Um, the bailout, ladies and gentlemen, the bailout is for the banks. It's not for the people in foreclosure. I, 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 I get this question all the time. You know, how am I going to do short sales now that the government's bailing out all the people that are in foreclosure? It's not bailing out the people who are in foreclosure, although for the amount of money they've spent, they could probably just give us all a month's worth of mortgage payment and, you know, just deal with it that way this 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 uh, I, I probably shouldn't get into my opinions about the um the mortgage relief plan but uh just trust me on the level of the guy who is in foreclosure it's doing nothing at all ever seven seven two nine six five eight eight seven 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 two nine six five eight are the numbers to call with your questions about real estate investing and obviously we're answering any kind of question that you might have. Uh, also, you can send us an email at uh, by going to askvina.com, just as Jared in Overland Park, Kansas did. He says, hi, Vina, I've been looking for vacant and abandoned houses, and I went to City Hall and the courthouse to see if they have a vacant or condemned building list, but they told me that no such list exists. Short of driving the neighborhoods, is there any place I can go to try and find this list? Well, Jared, okay, you're talking about two different things here, and you should be doing both of them. Driving the neighborhoods looking for vacant, ugly houses and writing down the addresses is called driving for dollars. And what you do with those addresses is you go to the tax rolls, you find out who owns the property and where they live now, and you send them a piece of mail or give them a call and say, hey, would you be interested in selling your house? That's step one. That's that's piece one. Piece two is this business of uh, condemned building lists. And unless Overland Park, Kansas, does not prosecute people for building code violations, uh, there is such a list. And I hear this over and over and over again that people say, I I went to City Hall, I went to the building department. They said there's no list of condemned properties or properties with building orders. The next question that you should ask when you're told that is, okay, so if I, as an owner, have a house that's in really bad shape... And you guys want me to fix it. How do you go about telling me that? And the building department will say, oh, well, we send you we send you a, an official notification and orders. And you say, that's the list I want is the list of official notifications and orders. And the next response you'll probably get will be something like, oh, well, we don't have those on a list. We just each individual building inspector has one. And then you say, okay, so does the building inspector handwrite the address on the envelopes? And when they say, no, of course not, you say, so they're in a computer somewhere, so there is a list. Please let me have the list. It can be a little bit of a challenge to get a hold of these condemned building lists, but 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 the way I've always done it is just work your way up the food chain at City Hall until you find the guy who knows there's a list and can give it to you. The, the administrator at the front desk often doesn't even know there's a list. You 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 end up having to talk to like the head of the building department or something, but it's it's a it's a it's a list you'd like to have and it's a list that they should really like to give you since your goal would be to of course buy those properties and get them off the condemned list by either fixing them up or wholesaling them to someone who is going to fix them up. It's real life real estate investing, it's question and answer week. Give us a call at seven seven two nine six five eight or eight seven 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 two nine six five eight. Remember, I got nothing to say unless you ask me a question. So feel free also to send us an email via askvina.com. We'll be back right after this.
Good evening and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. We're taking your questions either via phone at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or via askvina.com. And I'm going to keep talking even though I just heard my microphone go out. Yeah, it is. It is. Q&A week because I know it's like not the end of the month, but I'm going to be out of town at the end of the month. And I just really appreciate all these emails I'm getting from around the country telling us how much better the weather is. Just got an email from Bob in Seattle, Seattle, several longitudinal or latitudinal lines up from us, 60 degrees, sunny and snow covered mountains. Nice. Thanks, Bob. Real estate questions, though, are, of course, welcome here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Let's go to line one and talk to Brian in Toledo. Brian, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Thank you. How are you doing, Vina? Doing good, Brian. How are you? Good. Um, I had a question uh, about wholesaling. If you were uh, just starting out and you wanted to um, uh, start your wholesale buyer's list, what are some good ways to uh, or good techniques to to start that list? Well, I'll tell you, Brian, number one is I would go join Rio of Toledo. You're, you're, I'm already a member. You're aware of that organization. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, be there at the meetings. Okay. Don't just like, right. don't just like join and like show up at the beginning and, and try and get people to fill out your buyer's list and then leave because I'm telling you, most of the, uh, most of the deals at those things happen before the meetings and after the meetings. And, you know, when everybody goes out to the bar after the meeting to get some snacks, you know, that, that, that's really where you meet people and, and really find out who's doing stuff. Uh, beyond that, I would say, um, call all the bandit signs you see mm-hmm. that say I buy houses and find out if they really buy houses or not. Because if they really do, they're potential buyers for your buyers list. Uh, same thing with ads in the paper. Same thing with car, you know, the car magnets, all that sort of stuff. You're going to just keep a, keep a notepad above your visor in your car so that you can write these things down and follow up on them. Um, the, the various free online, uh, sites where people come in and say, I, you know, I buy houses in Toledo is another good source. I'll tell you a really good one. You know, these big multi-parcel auctions. Yes. They're having on REOs right now. Like I saw, I saw one, I was in Atlanta on Monday and they had, they had one that was going on there with 1300 pieces of property in it. There's one in Cincinnati going on in a couple of weeks. It's got like 400 plus yeah, we properties have ballroom auctions. Exactly. The people who show up there and bid, guess what they have Money. if they're bidding? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And they clearly like to buy real estate. So uh, go into one of those. and That's a really good idea. Networking and handing out your card and more importantly, getting their cards would be a really good way to put a bunch of people on your list all at once. It's so nice of those auction companies to have those big things where they put all of our buyers in the room together, isn't it? That's very nice. That's a good idea. I never thought of that one. Yeah. Well, that's uh, sort of the sort of the wave of the future is uh, working working a lot harder on the buyers list because the deals are so easy. Right. So uh, those would be my suggestions for building up your buyers list. Those are the methods that I use, and uh, they they work. And there you go. Great. Very very good. I appreciate it. You oh, have a good day. Thank you very much for your call, Brian. Appreciate okay, that. Bye. 
You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It is question and answer week, and we are taking any question that you have regarding real estate investing at 772-9658-877-772-9658 or via askvina.com. Let's go to line two and talk to Anera in Cincinnati. Hi, Vina. How are you? Hey, Anera. It's funny when they when the when they took your call, they they spelled your name out for me phonetically. And then, and then let me know that you were female. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, that's, that's actually probably pretty important because, uh, you know, with that name, you wouldn't really know. <laughs> my, my husband pretends to be me all the time, like when solicitors call, you know, and they ask for an era. He I says, well, see. I'm her. I'm him. You know, what do they know? I'm also here in Cincinnati freezing my butt off. So, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you that the weather's nice because yeah. it's not. I would, yeah, I wouldn't believe you. I, I was out in it, you know, half an hour ago. <laughs> Cold and raining and gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm calling to add something to your first email that you talked about, the people who wanted to transfer the duplex from the father to the son. Yep. Um, and I just wanted to add that one thing they need to think about is that if they transfer it before the father dies, they have to take his basis, his mm-hmm. tax basis. Mm-hmm. But if they wait until after he dies, they'll get stepped-up basis, and then if they were going to turn around and sell it, that would save them a considerable amount of taxes. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, but that does mean doing the trust thing as opposed to the gifting thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 all dependent on... Sometimes sometimes you, you get these situations where the parent wants the kids to have the property now because they don't need the income or they, they just want to see the kids enjoy it or whatever the case may be. And sometimes they need the income until they die, and then they want to pass it on to the kids, in which case the trust is the way to go. Right. So, But, yeah, I just wanted to add that so it was one more thing that they should think about. Um, and the gifting this year is $13,000. Thirteen thousand dollars. So yeah. Did you A hear that, Mom more. and Dad? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 30. Yes, and if you're married, you know, then they can give you each 13000 so, Exactly, you know. exactly. Yeah, it's a good way. A if you find your estate to be too large for you to handle uh, <laughs> and you have some kids, they're, 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 they're pretty uh, happy to receive that. And it doesn't have to be cash. That's it, correct. It can be yeah. equity. Yeah, it, it can be the LLC, you mm-hmm. know, and, and give it in pieces or mm-hmm. give a mortgage and then forgive parts of the mortgage. There's all kinds of ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, very much appreciate your input that on that, Anera, and appreciate your phone call. Thank you. I love listening to your show, and I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. You're, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing Question and Answer Week, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. I should say that, by the way, the, the very first time that I ever heard that strategy of gifting pieces of your estate to your kids uh, was many years ago from a guy who was the then president of Cincinnati RIA, a CPA named Paul Burning. And Paul put in an awful lot of time over the course of the last 20 or 25 years educating investors as well as working for them and with them as a CPA. And Paul passed away last Wednesday uh, uh, of a heart attack. Uh, big, big loss to the real estate community. And, of course, we extend our condolences to his family. He was a really, really good guy and uh, someone who was a real advocate for real estate investing, not just in Cincinnati, but throughout the state of Ohio. Let's go back to the phones and talk to Phil on line one in Atlanta. Phil, welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. All right. Thank you for taking my questions. You're very, very welcome. 
Um, I was curious about why setting up an LLC or an S-corporation for asset protection when you can just buy umbrella insurance and that when you do have an S-corp and LLC, you have to have a business license so you get taxed every year on revenue and your insurance costs are two or three times as expensive. And then the the last thing is I've never heard of anybody getting sued and, and losing. You've never heard of anybody getting sued and losing? Well, with with having two or three rental properties, as long as you manage them properly, I mean, I've I've rarely heard of tenants suing anybody else and, and actually winning if their case wasn't legitimate. Mm-hmm. And then when they do have a legitimate case, it doesn't matter where you have an LLC or you hold it personally, you'll lose anyways. Well, it's not, having an LLC or an S corporation isn't a matter of of like not losing a suit. I mean, if you're going to lose a suit, you're going to lose a suit. Okay, and right. and right. absolutely, you need to have insurance, and absolutely, you need to have an umbrella policy over and above your standard liability coverage on each property. There are a couple of things, though, about insurance that become problematic at certain points in time like there are certain there are certain sorts of torts that are not covered by insurance uh things like lead paint radon uh i had a friend here who uh had a uh the tenant knocked the 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 exhaust thing off the water heater and the house Mm -hmm. filled up with carbon monoxide and no nobody died but guess what the tenant sued her (laughs) even though she was not the one who knocked the exhaust thing off. They didn't report it, et cetera, et cetera. And your insurance doesn't cover that sort of tort. So part of the reason for having an LLC or an S corporation is it's your kind of last line of defense when either a, 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 a judgment exceeds the the size of your policy's coverage or it's not a covered item. There are, but you certainly would never set up an LLC or corporation just for that purpose. Because I mean, really, you're protecting yourself from a true lightning strike here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's well, yeah. It's just like title insurance. It it costs you know like a half a percent of the property. But if I, I rarely hear of anybody that ever claims it, so you're you're paying much more than you'll ever get back. Whoa, I have. So to... I wonder what the real <laughs> risks are and, and the real financial reward of having it all. I have to disagree with the whole title insurance thing, but we'll come back to that in a second. Okay. Um, the the other reason for having an LLC or an S corporation has to do with with tax advantages, tax benefits, the, the way you, the way you set up your life in which to receive your income, and the asset protection is a nice bonus on top of that. Uh, I have heard, uh, and not only have I heard of, I've seen personally um, a number of lawsuits where tenants were really not in the right, but still won. I mean, because it's you go to a jury trial, it's a he said she said thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the tenant yes. says the tenant says, no, he said I could have this vicious dog on my property that bit the neighbor. And the landlord says, I certainly did not say that. And there's nothing in the lease about it. And, you know, what happens? Right. So uh, there's you know, I, I'm not an attorney. I'm, right. I'm, 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 I'm just telling you that every attorney I talk to recommends both insurance and asset protection. And okay. on, the, on the issue of the business licenses, uh, some states are more vicious about that than others i mean there are, there are some states where you literally if you if your business doesn't make a dime you still pay a franchise tax every year on every llc you have yes you know and uh like pennsylvania is one of those states they are just horrible about that uh on the other hand um in ohio there's no such thing we do pay taxes based on the gross income not the net income believe it or not uh, of our LLCs, but we generally find that that to be outweighed by the tax benefits that we get from 
being able to set things up so that we're taking, you know, membership distributions instead of salaries and that sort of thing. How, how many dollars worth of assets do you recommend putting in one LLC or S-Corp before you form a next one? That would, that would be a question for your attorney because I've heard, I've heard a lot of opinions on that. One is just what you said. It's like, do I, when I get to X dollars, do I open an L, a new LLC? X dollars in equity. Right. Do I open a new LLC? And that sort of makes sense because th- that, that, that speaks to your comfort level. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how much am I willing to put at risk in one basket, as it were? Right. Uh, I hear a lot of attorneys, though, that say divide things up based on the risk of the property. For instance, if you had a 40-unit building, you wouldn't want to have anything else in that LLC other mm-hmm. than that 40-unit building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've heard yet others say that it's, it sometimes makes sense to put properties in LLCs based on their tax paying status so for instance if i have uh, you know i live here in this area where you're in atlanta so there's you're like a long way from any other state but uh i'm in this area where i could potentially own properties in the city of cincinnati the city of forest park the city of covington the city of newport the city of lawrenceburg and each one of those has to have its own taxes filed so having an llc set up to own the covington properties and one to own the cincinnati properties and one to own the forest park properties if you're following me so that only that entity has to file uh, taxes in that particular area. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for all your help, and I enjoy listening to your radio program today. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate that. Uh, let's go to line two and talk to Casey in Cincinnati, who's apparently gone. Casey, if you'd like to call back, we will get to you at 772-9658 or at 877-772-9658, or you can send an email with your question uh, just by going to askvina.com, there's a little form you can fill in there that will uh, let you hit the send button and it will come straight to me here at the station. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and wait for your calls at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Hey kids, it's Mr. Drew. Do you want to know more about real estate investing and hear about upcoming events? Check out Vina's website at realliferealestate.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we only worry about today and perhaps tomorrow and the next day and even the next day, but definitely not Sunday. <laughs> oh, it's really going to confuse the podcast listeners when that weather report is taken out. And she's like, what the, what the heck is she talking about? It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate Investing, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call with your questions about real estate investing and boy I sure meant to address that thing that Phil in Atlanta said about title insurance that it costs money and nobody ever makes a claim on it uh, I buy title insurance on every single solitary property I buy even if I'm paying cash for it and therefore don't officially need title insurance on behalf of a lender because the three or four times that I have had to quote use the title insurance meaning there has a title problem has turned up that needed to be resolved. Resolving it would have been so much more expensive than the combination of all the title insurance policies I paid over the years. Oh boy. I have I told the story about the house that we bought from the lady whose husband had died and they didn't pick up they didn't pick up that the husband's estate hadn't been probated and so we bought it and then she died and then when we tried to sell it it turned out there were like 
11 heirs of which two had died and they each had four children and the whole both estates had to be probated all heirs had to be contacted and sign off on quit claim deeds it took six months to work out and i don't even know how many hours of an attorney's time and the title insurance paid for it all so yeah i i find title insurance to be completely worth it uh let's go back to the phones and talk to ken in mount washington ken welcome to real life real estate investing Hi, thank you very much nice to be on uh, I had a question. Every once in a while, my wife and I toy with the idea of buying some property uh, and use it as a rental property. I live in the city of Cincinnati, and I just wonder, where does one go to find out what the rights, obligations, and duties of a, of a landlord are, you know, what you can and can't do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Ken, and I'm glad that you're thinking about this before you were faced with the problem of, of, of being in court, maybe having done something that you were not supposed to do. Uh, if you go to, if you just get online and Google Ohio tenant landlord law, uh, you're going to find that there are a number of nonprofit organizations that have published brochures regarding this sort of question that you have. I mean, basically, your obligation as a landlord is to keep the property in safe and habitable condition and allow your tenants quiet enjoyment, which means that, you know, you aren't taking their door off when they when they don't pay the rent, that sort of thing. Uh, there are... Um, there's a whole separate set of laws, of course, around the eviction process, which hopefully you'll never have to do. But, you know, let's not bet on it. If you're going to be a uh, a landlord, eventually you're going to have to file an eviction. And that, that varies from state to state. But in Ohio, basically, you have to give them a three-day notice when they don't pay their rent that says either pay me or leave. And if they don't pay in three days, or it actually turns out to be five by the time you don't count the day you dropped off the notice and... You allow the next day after to elapse as well. Uh, you file an eviction with the court, and the, the court picks it up from there. Um, it's not it's not anything really really super complex, but it is something that you definitely want to familiarize yourself with. Uh, the Real Estate Investors Association here in town. Do you do you belong to that group? No, I don't. Okay, uh, they I know they have published some stuff in there. They they have this members manual that. Um, covers covers some of that as well but you can very easily uh just google ohio tenant landlord law and you will get a complete rundown and it's you know it's like the whole the whole section of the ohio revised code that deals with this is only about three or four pages long well i didn't know if there were restrictions on uh, what a landlord could ask a tenant to do in terms of what they would be responsible for in terms of upkeep of the of the yard uh what happens when something in the house breaks who's responsible for repairing it that sort of thing okay the answer is always the landlord. Oh, good. <laughs> always the landlord. Now, here's the thing. You can you can make tenants responsible for things like you said, like uh, uh, mowing the lawn, shoveling the snow, that sort of thing, Partic- particularly in a single-family home. But the, the, the rule with things breaking is that even if the tenant broke them, you are responsible for fixing them, especially it is, if it is a health or livability issue. So, for instance, if the tenant, I don't know, pulls the door off the refrigerator that you supplied, the expectation of the law is that you will fix it. However, if the tenant did the damage, you can charge the tenant for the repair. What you, I see. What you can't do is you can't say you fix it. Okay. What you can do is you can say, look, you know, pretty clearly your kid stuffed G.I. Joe down the toilet and that's why the plumbing broke because here's G.I. Joe. This is an actual example, of course. And so 
you know, the, the, the plumber who came out to fix it cost, uh, was 120 bucks. You need to pay me 120 bucks with your next month's rent. And if you don't pay it, I'm taking the first 120 bucks of your rent and calling it the plumbing repair. And then you're going to be late with your rent. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, not enough landlords actually bother to enforce that. What they do is they say, well, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a deposit, so I'll just take it out of the deposit. No, the deposit needs to stay intact until that tenant moves out. If, if you receive $700 up front as a security deposit and you're slowly over the course of two years taking pieces out of that, what happens the last month when the tenant says, oh, I'm not going to pay this month. You just apply my deposit to my rent. The deposit needs to remain intact. They need to pay for their repairs as they go along. Okay. Well, that's been very helpful. I appreciate the answer. You're very welcome, Ken. And, and you're on a great little radio station. We I really love listening to it. I am. This is a great station, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. I know. Where else can you hear big band music in the middle of the day, right? Right. I know. It's awesome. (laughs) Thank you very much, Gail. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it is question and answer week. Uh, Ken's comment that he and his wife were thinking about from time to time buying rental properties reminds me that we still have two seats left in Real Estate 101. It's coming up on April the 25th and 26th here in Cincinnati. It is the complete beginner's class uh, that teaches you what you need to know to get out there and get invested in your first piece of real estate. We teach you things like how to evaluate properties, how to make offers, how to rent, how to wholesale, retail, buy creatively, all of those sorts of things in one little short two-day period. You can get more information on how you can get to Real Estate 101 and support this great little radio station by going to the great little radio station's website, which is wmkvfm.org. W-M, like in Michael, K-V, like in Vina, fm.org, and pick up one of those last two seats in Real Estate 101. Your pledge to the station is $499 with my 100% money-back guarantee that you will come out of that weekend feeling very confident about your ability to actually go out and buy a rental property and make money on it as opposed to just thinking about it or go out and wholesale a deal or go out and do whatever it is that your goal is in residential real estate investing. Again, that's WMKV.org. Sorry, WMKVFM. I did it right the first two times and then I messed it up the third time. WMKVFM.org. Question and answer week. Still waiting for your questions at askvina.com or at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. I have a question here from Manny in Phoenix who says, I am new to real estate investing. I listen to the archived shows because I work during the live broadcast. My question is about an assignment agreement. I heard Miss Vina, <laughs> I like that, Miss Vina, advise, to, advise us to use this form to list the assignment fee and not to put it on the actual assignment form because the seller and title company may be uncomfortable with the amount. Uh, actually, you did hear me right to say, Manny, that when you are assigning a contract to a buyer, that you should have one form that says, I'm assigning you this contract and, and you're giving me this much money, and a separate form that says, this is the actual assignment of the contract. But it was not to keep the seller from knowing how much you made. And it really wasn't even to keep 
the, the title company from being uncomfortable with the amount you made. It was because title companies have gotten so careful and so paranoid after years and years and years of being way too uncareful that they feel like they have to put your assignment fee on the closing statement even when you got paid outside of closing, which is sort of patently ridiculous. Of course, they don't have to put things on the closing statement when they happened outside of closing, but they're being like super, super careful so that nobody can ever come back to them and say, you did something wrong. So the purpose is not to, not because the, the title company is going to be uncomfortable with the amount that you made. You probably don't want the amount on the form where the seller can see it. Uh, but it's rather to just, just keep the stuff that's happening outside the closing, outside the closing. So appreciate your uh, question there, Manny. And we have a question here from Scott in Louisiana. He says in short sales, that's of course where you're working with a bank on a pre foreclosure property to get them to lower the mortgage payoff so that you can actually afford the house. He says, I have a general sales contract that I use. My entity name is usually the buyer. When I'm dealing with the lender, is it better for me to use my name as the buyer instead of a business name? Uh, Scott, I have heard some chatter that banks are more hesitant to accept short sale offers when they are coming in in the name of an entity. Uh, and and the, the person who told me this was a realtor who works with a lot of banks on a lot of short sales. And his explanation was... The bank figures that if an investor is buying the property, there's more money to be had from it. End of story. And only investors, of course, buy in entities. So um, the way that most people deal with this, because you, you do, of course, want to end up buying the property in an entity. And, of course, the contract is not going to be assignable, is to sign it with your name as trustee. In other words, I, you didn't put your your name your last name here, but let's say your name is Scott Louisiana, comma, trustee, and uh, then put the property into a trust, the beneficiary of which will, of course, be the same entity that you wanted to uh, put it into before. Just remember, those contracts are typically not going to be assignable. So make sure that whatever you're doing, uh, you are able to either assign the beneficial interest of the trust or put it in a trust. Uh, let's go ahead and quickly go to line one and talk to Irene, who's calling from Florida. Irene, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Yes. Hi, Dina. How are you? Very good, Irene. How are you? Okay. Uh, Bina, my question is, I have an LLC, and I have two commercial properties in, in that LLC. Uh, should those two properties be in the trust, or are they uh, safe to be in an LLC? Well, Irene, um, the LLC actually provides better asset protection than the land trust, and the Land trust provides no tax benefits whatsoever. So uh, the reason people use land trust is not instead of LLCs, it's in addition to LLCs. The question that I thought you were going to ask, the one that popped into my mind when you said this was, you have two commercial properties in the same LLC. What is the nature of the properties? Uh, well, they are uh, like a warehouse. 
Okay. Uh, well, yeah. you you might want to talk to an asset protection attorney about the possibility of moving one of those into a separate LLC, depending on how much equity you have in the properties, because uh, that, that, that was kind of my concern was uh, she got too many eggs in one basket, having two commercial properties in one LLC. And we really do appreciate your call, Irene. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So we will be back next week. Uh, to put to put you more on the path to financial independence. Don't forget the RIA meeting this week. It is tomorrow, and it is at the CAC building at the Jordan Crossing. More information at CincinnatiRIA.com or at 859-292-RIA. Be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.